0: Well, hello and welcome to Help Me Believe, the show about Christian apologetics and theology. My name is Hayden Clark, your host, and I'm excited for today's episode. Before getting uh, into that, I want to say thank you to our patron supporters. Uh, Because of your support, I get to produce free material like this and put it up on the interweb. So thank you so much for that. And uh, you too, listener, can become a patron supporter just by following the Patreon link in the description below and becoming a supporter for only a dollar a month. Um, Other than that, I think we're ready to get into today's interview. And today my guest is... Steve McRae, Steve, how are you doing today,
1: sir? I'm doing awesome. Uh, I actually got a little bit of sleep today. Uh, I have woken up and I've got my coffee with my green cup. If you if, like whoo, yes, it's, it's a green invisible. screen. I was wondering if you isn't knew, it. Like, I got four of these. That's <laughs> yeah, great. It's like magic. I can do magic tricks. If I figure out what to do with four green cups. <laughs> That's
0: great. I was wondering if you knew that. I didn't know. So yeah, that makes oh yeah yeah no That makes sense. sense. It, it literally
1: is the same color. It's like a lime green. Yeah. yeah.
0: No, I didn't say anything in the in the before the show because I wasn't sure. I it was like, well, I don't want to. <laughs> No, But uh, I'm excited to have you on. So uh, thanks so much uh, for agreeing to do this. I'm sure you've got a busy schedule. So I really appreciate you coming on to do this. Um, But before I start asking you all sorts of questions, uh, I thought it'd be helpful uh, for the audience that may or may not know who you are. uh, If you gave us a kind of a brief introduction of who you are and what you do.
1: Sure. My name's Steve McCray. I've been on YouTube for about seven years. I do videos dealing with uh, epistemology, philosophy, science, biology, physics, mathematics, like calculus. Uh, we basically talk about all kinds of things. And plus, I'm doing now a political show with uh, somebody named Chris Hatley, aka the Atheist Pastor. We do that on Wednesday nights, uh, 8 o'clock Pacific time. Uh, so, you know, we're kind of... Kind of a potpourri of different things on my channel, but basically, it's all about facilitating discussions, having having dialogues, talk about critical thinking, talk about how to have how to go about having better discussions with theists, atheists, non-believers, believers, uh, and or just any type of discussion.
0: Yeah, no, that's that sounds awesome. It's definitely something that I've flattered myself as trying to do as well as foster uh, better conversations. I'm sure I don't always succeed at that, but uh, yeah, that's that's definitely. Uh, I'm I'm happy to hear that that sort of thing's going on. Uh, so tell me about uh, the the channel. Uh, I know you just just kind of mentioned it, but kind of how did you get started doing things, and uh, kind of what's the what's the general philosophy
1: behind it? Well, i got a couple of channels. I have the Great Debate Community channel, which you know kind of was a catch-all channel that I've had for about three years or so. I have my own personal channel, which is Steve McRae. And then I had a channel called The non Sequitur Show, which uh, unfortunately uh, I had a partner that was recently found liable for fraud, fraudulent conversion, unfair and deceptive trade practices, breach of fiduciary duty, and breach of contract. And uh, I'm still in litigation in order to get that channel back as well as basically proceeds from the channel which was significant it's uh it's about a hundred thousand dollar lawsuit at this point wow.
0: uh, well tell me a little bit so like you said some of uh the the dialogues that you're fostering the things that you're doing has to do with religion and uh, philosophy of religion things like that so what's kind of your history with religion were you uh once religious are you
1: religious uh, kind of uh, that nature uh, I mean, I was baptized Mormon when I was 17. Uh, I took the missionary lessons. I've read the Book of Mormon like three times. Uh, I went to Bible studies in the mornings, went to some Christian things every so often. Um, you know, I did believe for a while. I mean, there were some personal things that happen where people will say, you know, this may be attributed to a deity of some kind. Or supernatural things that you think, or think are supernatural things that you don't have a causal mechanism for. So you kind of say, yeah, you know, maybe there is some kind of a, a non-materialistic, non-physical substance out there maybe maybe some intelligence exists out there i don't know but uh that didn't really last too long with me um after i got baptized i joined the navy and of course trying to be mormon in the military is really difficult uh i don't know about you but if you've ever hung around a sailor they tend to drink yeah um um and then in 2008 i kind of Stop going. You know, I stopped having anything to do with the church because of their stance on Prop 8 in California, and uh, I didn't think the church should have been involved in that, on um, the proposition of gay marriage, because that definitely should have been something separated of church and state. And I was like, well, if this is God's church, why is God, why is God fighting against this? This is, makes no sense to me. Uh, and after that, I just basically been non-religious, non-denominational, non-theistic. Um, Um, But I was never really raised that way. I just kind of hung around friends that were. It was more of a social thing to begin with. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, This would kind of get us into kind of where we want to go today. But um, So how would you identify yourself with respect to the question of God's existence? Um, You you said non-theistic. Does that fall into— Ah, my thing fell down. (laughs) (laughs) No worries. Uh, That's okay. You can stop and fix it or you can leave it. It's perfectly fine with me. I don't care. I don't care people, people know I got a green screen that, That's my studio back <laughs> That's fantastic uh, um, To make you feel better I'll say that uh, I once swallowed a fly
1: Live on YouTube
0: once But uh, yeah
1: I'm actually glad it fell Because I got a fan back here like, what kind of? It's hot today It's like 100 some odd degrees It's ridiculously hot today So now I actually feel The breeze of the fan <laughs> on. So that actually worked out okay That's good <laughs>
0: Uh, yeah so you know you said non-theistic would you classify that more in the agnostic camp and the atheist camp do you not like those categories at all just kind no, i of- I'm, an,
1: I'm a definitely agnostic and and I use agnostic the way that's generally understood in philosophy and I keep telling people the normative use and what I mean by that is the the uses is most commonly found it's not the Huxley and type of agnostic Huxley did not use agnosticism the way that it's used most often nowadays uh, he used it in a different contexts he used it more of an epistemological sense about the nobility of gods and and he also thought that both theists and atheists were not justified to hold on to their positions. They're not justified to to say one way or another whether they even can hold a belief that God existed or not. So the agnostic in the um, philosophical context is basically somebody who holds that the proposition is neither true or false. And you're basically, you're just spending judgment on it. You're not able to evaluate and reach a conclusion. You say towards the God's proposition, I don't believe it's true, but I also at the same time don't believe it's false. And right. So. That's what agnostic is generally held as normatively. It is a psychological stance of being agnostic on the proposition. And I think a lot of people have a misconception of that because all they keep on all I hear from a lot of the more prominent atheists is, "Oh, well, there's no middle ground between belief and disbelief." Or, "No middle ground between belief and non-belief," which is true. Uh, But that's not where agnosticism lies. Agnosticism lies between belief and disbelief, and disbelief is actually understood as the belief of the, of the proposition being false the negation of the proposition mm-hmm. and when i hear a lot of a uh, you know atheists go well i just disbelieve i'm like well that you're telling people that you actually believe the proposition of theism is false and they're like well i don't No, i don't mean it that way i mean you know i just don't believe i'm like well then you're confusing people right. who whoever uh, understand. Epist-
0: yeah i want to come lot yeah i want to come back to the the lack theist um question in just a second but um kind of a follow-up question to what you were just mentioning would be um are you saying that um, you're agnostic in the sense that um you would need better evidence to go one way or the other or are you saying that actually we cannot know the answer to this question
1: you no know, I, I don't i don't say that you can't know now that would be what be more specifically a hard agnostic or a Huxleyan type agnostic okay. that says the knowability of gods, but that's an epistemological question dealing with the knowability, right? right? When you're talking about theism, you're talking about the belief that God exists. You're talking about a position on ontology existential, right? Because God existing is an existential question dealing with ontology. So we're asking people, what is your stance on the existence of God? Right. That's what a theist says. A theist says, I have concluded that the proposition that God exists is true. Right. They believe god exists it has nothing to do at that point with the knowability of gods they're not saying one way or another whether gods are knowable or not that's a different domain right and they i think I, people have a hard time when they switch from a doxastic position which is a, a dealing with beliefs and they move into a more um, epistemological position to leave with knowledge because the knowability question is a different proposition right one proposition is does god exist the other one is is god knowable mm-hmm. those are vastly different propositions
0: that. So would you say that God as classically conceived then as like omniscient, omnipotent creator of the universe, it, te- it is um, at least theoretically or possibly knowable? Um, it's just that uh, you don't find the evidence sufficient, but you also don't find the negation of the proposition uh, God exists to be sufficient either.
1: Yeah, yeah, well, here's the thing, okay, when people say, though, like, I am not convinced God exists because I haven't had sufficient reasons to believe, well, that I consider to be a vacuous justification, right, Right? because when you say to somebody, well, why, you ask somebody, well, why don't you believe God exists, and they say, well, I don't believe because I don't believe, people would go, well, that's circular, right, that makes no sense, I mean, we we basically know you don't believe because you don't believe, so when they say, I don't believe because I don't have sufficient evidence, they're saying the same thing. Because if they had had sufficient evidence, they would make a conclusion one way or the other. That's not a reason to believe or disbelieve. And for me, I'm saying nothing about the nobility of gods. What I'm saying is I don't even have a stance towards the belief one way or the other if god exists and of course i'll change my position as more information is acquired um it doesn't have to be exactly 50-50 you could have you know be on one more than one side or the other you could be a little bit more toward the agnostic side believing the proposition's false or a little bit more toward the theist side believing that it's true and you don't have to be con- you know convinced right because mm-hmm. we're asking about if are you convinced and that doesn't require certitude right. it doesn't require any kind of certainty it doesn't require knowledge either to be convinced right it just requires that you have a belief that you're convinced enough to say, "I think it is the case that the propositional content is true, ontologically speaking." Right? If I say um, the sky is blue, and I say I believe the sky is blue, I'm affirming that proposition, no content to be the case, correct? Right. So it's it's all dosastic at that point. Right. Do you lean one way or the other? Yeah, I mean, I yeah, I, I mean, I generally lean more toward the atheistic side. Um, I, th- I think there's marginally some better arguments for atheism than there are for theism. But the, the funniest thing is, is when you hear somebody who's a lack of belief atheist go, well, you know, atheism is not a you know belief position. I'm like, OK, then you can't have arguments for it either way. Right. right. You know, you, what does it mean to say that atheism is true? It's merely of his lack of belief. Right? right. Which is defeating their own purpose, I think, mm-hmm. because if you really think there's no God and you just try to default into the non belief that you don't believe, how are you going to argue for that position? You, you, at that point, it becomes a psychological stance rather yeah. than a propositional thing to be evaluated.
0: Yeah. So we, we've already kind of got into this. But like you're mentioning just for the audience, in case anyone isn't familiar, there are a lot of atheists today, uh, at least online. Um, I don't know how much it carries over into the academy, if at all. But a, a lot of atheists will say that uh, I, I really think it's just trying to circumvent having any kind of burden of proof. Um, that's a bit of me projecting motive onto people though but um it seems quite clear that that is the motive but oh i agree with you. I, I, I've, I've <laughs> I don't I've like to project motive but they, they they yeah, sometimes agree, say it Lord. explicitly that that is the motive um and, and and anyway the way they do this is to say that uh, well I, I don't have a belief uh, I, I i merely lack a belief that god exists and so i don't have this burden um but to me it's like you could have that belief uh, and every I agree with everything you've already said, but another thing would be that um, you could have the belief that God exists, and, and so the fact that you lack it means that there must be a reason for
1: lacking it. And so, I right. mean,
0: I don't feel like you, this even actually escapes well, I, a burn I, of proof. I, I, have,
1: I, have an, I have an argument on that, actually. I, on my blog, as you would know, I write a blog called 3M Philosophy, and one of the blogs I actually wrote was that very thing, that even even lack of belief has a burn of proof. Right. And I actually proved it using logic, using second-order belief, because— a second-order belief is a still a form of belief that requires rationality to be justified. Mm-hmm. It still requires some kind of, or to say, just justification to be rational. And a lot of people don't understand that because agnosticism is a position on the question, but it's just on a direct position, right? It is an indirect position. It's called a second-order position. And because it's a second-order belief that you think to yourself, I believe that I'm unable to answer this question. It's a type of belief. It is a something that requires justification. Is why you are not able to come to a conclusion either way. And you're exactly right. When somebody says I lack a belief there's a justification there there's a burden of proof and in epistemology burden of proof and burden of justification are synonymous i've never seen any usage of them that has any kind of demarcation between one and the other they're used interchangeably now that's not the same thing in law the law uses them differently uh the burden of proof has to do with what's called the burden of production and burden of persuasion where burden of production is what you need to bring charges for a court case and burden of uh, persuasion is what you need to convince a judge or jury. But in epistemology, when we say burden of proof, all we're asking is what is your justificatory conditions to hold a particular position? Or in this case, suspending of judgment with respect to a proposition. of belief doesn't require a uh, burden of proof. And I've given them many. Michael Martin, who wrote a book about negative atheism, he was a big advocate for the lack of belief usage. And even he says negative atheism has to be justified to be rational. Right. I I just,
0: you know, I don't think there's any way, perhaps you could help me out on this, is there any way to escape some kind of burden of proof? Because I just think as long as you know, nope. I, I, don't, I don't think
1: there is. Any Anytime you're having a conversation, anytime you're inter, you know, entered into a dialectic, you have a burden of proof. Even if you don't talk to somebody, I have a burden of proof to myself if I hold a particular belief, right? Why do I hold this belief? Right. And if you don't hold those burden of proofs, then you don't reevaluate your, your positions, right? Now, they're not always concurrent, right? These are just things. You don't sit there and reevaluate all your, your beliefs at once, right? But as they prop up, you're like you know what, I thought about that, and maybe I changed my mind. Well, the reason you changed your mind is because you realized you didn't have sufficient warrant to justify holding that belief still. You you no longer became convinced of it, maybe, or you became convinced that you were wrong. If somebody says, hey, Steve, here's some facts that you made a mistake here. You had a belief that was false. I look at it and go, hmm, yeah, that's right. I was wrong. I'm no longer convinced I was right. I am now convinced that I'm wrong, right? That. But we all, we all, I don't even have to tell somebody that, right? But I have a burden of proof to myself to have right. rational thoughts. Yeah, and so yeah. I think when I think, I think people are so concerned about a burden of proof and they don't realize that there's many different types of burden of proofs going on at once in any conversation, right? It's no, not, not like good, you have yeah. it or I have it. There's, there's tons of different burdens of proofs going on.
0: Now, that's a great point about, um, I hadn't thought about it in those terms, but it does seem quite obvious that uh, even if you don't have a burden of proof, to me which is just your choice of
1: course you don't have to talk to me if yeah, you don't want an onus, to right. <laughs> That's persu- That's persuasion right? right I don't if I if I say, I, mean, I say hey um Hayden I believe the sky is blue do I really have an onus to demonstrate to you that the sky is blue of course right. not it, it could be a self assessment or an autobiographical uh, relationship of me just telling you I this this is my 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 belief right now I'm not trying to persuade you but you want to know my my state I believe the sky is blue but I have no onus to demonstrate that to you, do I? Of course no. not, yeah. unless I'm trying to persuade you. Right.
0: Uh, so this comes up a lot, um, and I see I saw an engagement between yourself and uh, well, Aaron Ra on on Twitter about rocks being atheists. So where does this? Where do rocks come into the picture? And uh, yeah, what's going on here with rocks and atheism?
1: Well, okay, <laughs> um, that goes back a while uh, to a person named Bionic Dance who. Uh, didn't know much about logic and doesn't know much about philosophy. And even though she kind of gets it right from her particular way of looking at logic, it's not the the way to, right way to look at logic. Because what she does is this. She basically says there's – and by the way, I don't, she doesn't exactly relate it this way. You have to kind of parse it out. There's a universal set. And in a universal set, you have two complementary sets. You have everything that's in one set and you have everything that's not in that set, the negation of that set, right? So if I have U as a universal set, then I have A – Prime and I have A. So anything not in one set has to be in the other. It makes sense. Yep. Either you're an apple, you're not an apple. Duck, not duck. Right. Everything yep. in the universe has to be in one of these two categories, for the most part. We're dealing with classical logic. Mm-hmm. So she argues that if you're not a theist, then you're not theist. And she She basically says, not theist means atheist. aren't does the same thing. This is a semantic argument at this point. It changes from a logical argument to a semantic argument because now they're saying that they're not theist, we're going to call that atheist. so now you have a dichotomy between theism and atheism that's artificial because that's not exactly how it is in philosophy but everything that exists must be in one of those two categories right including rocks yeah. okay well if rocks are not a theist what's the only other category available to them mm. according to their type of dichotomous relationships yeah. that they've These artificial relationships that they self-approve. Well, then Rock Rock would be an atheist, right? Right. That's how they're arguing it. Yeah. So the problem
0: here would be the false dichotomy between uh, no, that there need, yeah, that there needs to be another dichotomy between atheism, um, yeah,
1: atheism and non-theism, or not-theist. Yeah, right? well, the dichotomy then, is, there's a dichotomy between theism and not-theism, right? right? That's true. Everything that's not a theist is not, anything that's not a theist is not-theist, right? Yeah. So if I have a rock, rock clearly isn't a theist, because it right. doesn't have a position that God exists. So, right. okay, not-theist. Now, under, in that subset, right, under not-theist, you have different positions. One of them would be a, a, basically, you'll call it a non-theist. Now, this is a, this is something that Arendt, for some reason, doesn't do, and it's still a bad argument, but it's better, is, is limiting your scope so non-theism only applies to persons, right? So it's just a person who lacks a belief, mm-hmm. right? There's some problems with that as well, but he doesn't even do that in limiting scope. He just says, no, you have a dichotomy, theist or atheist. And that's one of the problems with making these artificial dichotomies, yeah. because there's other positions, uh, and this is why in philosophy you have theist who believes the proposition is true, you have atheist who believes it's false, and then you have the agnostic who doesn't believe either. Right? Mm-hmm. There's a there's a more nuance there. There's a there's a basically a gradient. There's a granularity that they just don't have, and they say, oh, you know, we're just going to throw everything into these one of two categories. Yeah.
0: No, I, I think I'm with you. I think uh, you know, obviously, uh, rocks would be in. Not theists. They're not theists. They don't hold the belief that God exists, but they don't hold beliefs, period, which yeah. I think is why they don't fall into the category of atheism, because atheism um, is something that would only belong to persons. But right, um, it's a psychological,
1: it's a psychological position. But so would right? agnosticism. Yeah. yeah, I mean, agnosticism is a psychological position. Now, it's kind of funny because there's a there's a dishonest lawyer on on YouTube that was talking about this very thing, and, and I was looking at it from an internal. Critique of what they were saying, and they actually literally dishonestly edited what I said to make it appear that I said rocks are dis- are agnostic or agreeing with that. Even though for years I've had my positions out there, and I've never argued that right. rocks are agnostic. Because yeah. to be agnostic, you have to actually try to evaluate the proposition right. and then suspend judgment. Rocks don't do that either. They're they're, they're they're like rock is amoral, right? Right. It doesn't have morals, but doesn't mean it's immoral, right? right. It's not, you don't say rocks are immoral because they don't have morals. Right? You may say they're the person, right. maybe, but no, they're amoral. Um, hmm. So there's a lot of confusion there. But yeah, the whole Rocks being an atheist thing, is I don't know why they think that helps their cause. It makes them look very silly. Yeah,
0: uh, I want to say one more thing about that, but before I forget I always forget to do this, sorry. Uh, but I want to mention to the live audience that if you have a question, you can submit it. I'll address it uh, near the end of the interview at, during the live Q&A portion. Uh, be sure to tag at Help Me Believe before your question kind of helps me see uh, who actually has a question and please by all means direct all of your questions at Steve um, I don't want to answer any hard questions tonight but no I'm just kidding but
1: uh, anyway yeah who does yeah right <laughs> I'm caffeinated I'm good to go yeah, Bring it I, I
0: think you're pretty good on this subject so I don't think you got anything to be worried about
1: uh, uh, once or twice it's like one subject that I read a lot on you yeah, know
0: yeah you never thought that you would spend a lot of time defending the
1: proposition rocks are not atheists but here you are and uh, nope. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, no, five years ago, I used to have these arguments with Bionic Dance. I, I kept trying to explain to her. No, stop saying this. It's foolish. But she she wouldn't she wouldn't get that that look, you could you could make anything into a semantic argument. I can say dogs equal felines. Felines equals cat. My you know, my my dog spot is now a cat. It's like these are semantic arguments. When you try to change the term not theist to atheist, you run into problems.
0: Yeah. No, for sure. Is there a way uh, – this was the question. Is there a way to uh, parody this from my side? Like to say, well, I don't have a burden of proof because I don't – I'm trying to think of how I would do it. Uh, I don't believe that God exists. I just lack the belief that the God belief is that does God not, is- not exist. Or yeah. I don't know what
1: I would say. <laughs> Well, what, OK, this actually is what's called my WASP argument. Okay, this great. is my it's called a weak atheist special pleading argument. Uh, I came up with it a while back. I mean, I'm not the first to actually kind of th- think about this particular argument. I, I'm the first that I know of to formalize it mm. and actually show it to be the case logically using predicate logic. Uh, and it, to this day, it's still unassailed. And it's, it's not a difficult argument to actually th- grasp unless you're a lack of belief atheist who just for some reason Wants to make it about semantics and definitional things, which is not it is a logical argument It has to do with fallacious reasoning has nothing to do with semantics, but it goes like this If an atheist wants to define atheism as merely the lack of belief that God exists Then a theist can define theism to be the position of lacking a belief that God does not exist If the atheist does not allow the theist to do this, they are guilty of special pleading right? Because it is is definitely a special pleading argument, because now you have an atheist saying, well, I want to define atheism this way. Okay, you're allowed to do that. But if you do that, you have to allow the theist to do the exact same thing for the negation of the proposition. Because for every proposition, you have a a negation, right? The sky is blue. It is not the case. The sky is blue. Every proposition is like that. So when you believe the proposition for theism, you have the the negation, which is uh, believes that the proposition is false, that's not a dichotomy, right? Believes true and believes false is not dichotomous. Believes true and not believes true is a dichotomy. Mm-hmm. But you can also, but you could not believe it's true and you can not believe it's false being agnostic. And so uh, my argument is, is basically telling lack of belief atheist: look, if you want to hold the position that you merely lack a belief that God exists without holding the belief that God does not, because uh, not believing does not entail that you believe God is false. Not does not exist. But if you believe God does not exist, it doesn't it does entail that you do not believe clearly because you don't believe if you believe God does not exist. So for the lack of belief atheist, they are also lack of belief theist. And if you want to call lack of belief atheism, atheism, then you have to be able to be called lack of belief theism, theism. So all these atheists out there going, well, I'm merely lack of belief. Okay, you're a theist. And if they balk at that, they observe special pleading. Right. I have yet to have anybody upsell that argument and it's been vetted by, by people that really do know their stuff, but that's my yeah. call. It's called my wasp argument. It's got, it's made the rounds. Matter of fact, somebody called Matt Dilley Hunty on the eighth uh, experience the other day. Somebody that I know, by the way, i never advocate for people to do that. I've never called the show. I never want to call the show and I don't advocate anybody to, to call the show running my arguments, but this person did. Um, and they didn't understand it.
0: Yeah. Now we got somebody in the comment section actually, um, with a question about that, but I'm, I'll get to that whenever we get to the Q&A.
1: Oh, yeah, the person who calls in the audience.
0: Yeah, probably so. Uh, let's see. Uh, kind of moving away from the the question of atheism and the definition there, um, just out of kind of things that I was curious to ask you about, uh, wh- what is your favorite argument for the existence of God? And by favorite, it can mean the strongest, or it could just mean, you know, however you want to interpret the word favorite.
1: Um, I happen to like the argument from contingency. And it's not that I think it actually gets you anywhere. And uh, for those who don't know, the argument contingency basically goes something along the lines of uh, everything that exists um, is either contingent or metaphysically necessary. Okay, so if it's not contingent, it must be necessary. There are no other options for those things. And if it's contingent, like we're contingent beings, meaning that we do not exist in all possible worlds. We have to exist in at least one, which is the one that's actualized. Uh, but we can't exist at all. We're not a metaphysical necessity. So, if we're a contingent being, then everything prior to us is a string of contingencies, a causal relationship. And there's only three possibilities that can that can end up with. One, it could be an infinite regress of just causal relationships, right? contingent, 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 contingent all the way to you know, net, reverse infinity. Now, that's completely logical. There's nothing logical about that, but it's just the mind doesn't want to accept something like that. The other two options, um are contingent 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 and then you hit a, what's called a brute fact right just a contingency that exists that's brute fact that's also hard to wrap your mind around what, what would be a brute fact something that we can't even apprehend our minds can't apprehend what 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 this brute fact even is but there's some contingent brute fact and the other option is some kind of metaphysical necessity so you have a causal relationships of contingencies ending in a metaphysical necessity the theists will sometimes will come along and posit that metaphysical necessity to be a, a god now I do tend to brute fact when it comes to justifications, right? There's what's called classical um, uh, foundationalism. So I I do tend, when we talk about beliefs, I tend to go to properly basic beliefs or to a classical, it's not really a brute fact, but it's a a properly basic belief, right? Mm -hmm. Now, when it comes to the ontology of the universe, I'm willing to actually even say I don't accept an infinite regress. It's possible, but there are ways around that in justifications called infinitism. But I think the most likely case for the argument of contingency is a, is a metaphysical necessity. I think there is something about the universe that could be no other way, and it would be that way in all possible worlds. The problem I have with the argument of contingency is if you can posit a God for it, is that the argument of contingency has to satisfy what's called the principle of sufficient reason. And it doesn't actually do that when you posit God, because when you posit God, you have to be able to say, well, why did God actualize this particular world out of all the possible worlds that he actualized? If you can't answer that, you don't have a reason. And if God did it arbitrarily, if he just said, I wanted this world for whatever reason, he just picked it, right? There's not really a reason for it then. It was just arbitrary. Like, why did I, why did I stub my toe 60 times in my life, you know, rather than 59? Why is there one more gratuitous evil than there should have been? right and a gratuitous evil or a natural evil would be something that, that is not like you know what we consider to be evil like you know going and killing people but a hurricane is a gratuitous evil uh or stubbing a toe is a natural evil they call it yeah and so how would you how would you you know what is the explanation then just positing god doesn't explain anything because either it was arbitrary or he was beholden to actualize this possible world which means there was something of higher value than god which a lot of theists would go well, no, no no nothing you know god could do what he wants he's not beholden to any mm-hmm. kind of higher value, so it presents a problem to the theist. But, you know, if, if a theist is going to deposit God as a being that exists, I think it makes sense to posit God as a metaphysical necessity, at least. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. It reminds okay. me of some—
1: Repeat <laughs> it back to me, because I have no idea what I just said.
0: No, it sounds, okay. like, uh, okay. it sounds like to me that uh, you, would, you would think that uh, something exists necessarily and yes. positing god as that which exists necessarily um you actually think might violate the psr uh but... well i
1: don't think it violates psr i just think it's just it, it doesn't really satisfy it that's okay. all i mean it, it, it possibly could maybe maybe somebody can come up with a better argument for it but you know i can at least see a god i at least see a theist going you know i think the explanation is a god i don't know exactly what it's explaining though mm-hmm. but i there is some kind of metaphysical necessity. Maybe it's a placeholder. I'm going to call that metaphysical necessity. God, Yeah, you know, could be quantum. No, I think it's
0: really cool uh, or interesting or something like that, that uh, you do think there is something metaphysically necessary. I know Graham oppie, I think thinks this now. Um, He's an atheist that I love to listen to and read. He's awesome. Yeah. I've had him on my show. He's yeah. Have you? Yeah. Well, good. Yeah. So he's somebody that I do like to listen to and read and, uh, uh, I, I think he's of the mind. Now, I don't know that he always was, actually, but I think he is now of a mind that uh, there probably is uh, something which exists necessarily. Um, so it's kind of like uh, most theistic arguments, at least, that I'm aware of will go in kind of two stages. They'll try to get to something like metaphysical necessity, and then they'll try to get to God uh, by teasing out the attributes or something like that.
1: Um, so. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I think that's, that's exactly how they would go about doing it. Yeah. Uh, matter of fact, I'm doing a <laughs> episode tomorrow on Agree to Argue with Dr. Fuz Rana. He's going to be talking about the watchmaker mm. wow. and uh, intelligent design and teology, teology, te- teleology, te- teleological versus teleonomic. Wow. That's <laughs> it's a hard. Um, yeah, but one of those things that is, you know, uh, 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 as a metaphysical being that would be the intelligent designer that exists Um, regardless of of our understanding of the universe, it's some kind of metaphysical necessity that has to exist as an intelligence, because a lot of people will run the argument, well, you have the laws of logic, right? Laws of logic are are conceptual, and if they're conceptual, conceptual and they have to exist, to be conceptual, they have to exist in some kind of mind at at some time. That's, that's, I, I particularly buy that argument, but that's one of the arguments that I see people run. Right. Yeah.
0: No, that makes sense. Um. The other question I had just kind of out of curiosity was um, what would be most likely, uh, I actually like this question quite a bit, what would be most likely to convince you that God exists? Would it be something like one of these philosophical arguments, or would it be so, something more like an experience, uh, say of the miraculous or something like that? Of course, it depends on what the word miraculous means, I know, but uh, you know, experience versus some kind of argument.
1: Yeah, I think it would be experience. Uh, I, the arguments I don't think will ever convince anybody because if they if there was a good argument for God, it, um, I think the whole world would be convinced, right? I think that most of these arguments basically they tell the believer what they've already kind of believed, right? And they, I mean, it just kind of reinforces. And a lot of these arguments are no longer even used that much. I mean, you know Aquinas' is five ways, right? Four mm-hmm. Four out of his arguments aren't really used that much, the prime mover arguments and some other things. Although at the time, they were solid probably arguments. People would go, well, yeah, wait a minute. What did cause the first motion? Why do we have spin? Spin had to come from somewhere. Something had to move that, begin with the prime mover. But as we learn more about science, we can actually probably say, hey, look, some of these are due to symmetry breaking. Um, we don't have a full understanding of it. why it was clockwise or there, you know, why are more things clockwise and counterclockwise. Why is it more matter than antimatter? Why is symmetry breaking? Not always perfect right is there, why is there some inconsistencies in symmetry breaking yeah but we understand that there is such a thing right so we have we, learned more since Aquinas but one of the arguments he has is a teleological argument and uh, that's basically just saying that that you know the, the universe is due to some kind of metal physical being, God the the watchmaker that designed the universe uh, and but I don't think it gets I don't think it proves anything right just it's, it's an argument it's an assertion. Rather than an exper- something that's experiential, where I say, hey, "Look, I'm experiencing something." If God is, is exists and He comes down and you know shows Himself, yeah, it's going to be a lot more something that I believe, assuming that I'm in you know the right mindset, that I'm not I'm not losing my you know faculties. Um, then yeah, I think experience is important. The problem with that is that's nothing we can relate to other people. Our experience is right. our own, right? They're sense data, mm-hmm. and it's subjective, meaning that. Not, not the, when people talk about subjectivity in, in philosophy, I think there's a misconception. When I talk about subjectivity, I'm talking about a, a something that's sensed out of myself that you don't have epistemic access to. For example, um, the way I experience color, you don't have access to. Gotcha. The way I experience pain, you don't have access to. Mm-hmm. Those are all subjective things, right? And objective things is something you do have access to. Like if, if you want to know, hey, how many gumballs are in a jar? You can objectively look at it an and count, right? Mm-hmm. That's that's something that's objective, and so uh, it would be enough to convince me maybe that God exists, but I don't think experience is enough to convince somebody else.
0: No, for sure, uh, yeah.
1: unless they just trust you explicitly, but then you're just relying on their testimony. That's all.
0: Yeah. No, I think you're exactly right, and uh, yeah, that's actually really cool. That I mean, you would you just worded it exactly how I would. Um, I think the thing with objectivity and subjectivity. I think is, uh, I'm not saying intentionally, but sometimes when I I speak with atheists and I try to relay that to them, like, yeah, um, when I'm talking about religious experience, so for example, like I couldn't give you a philosophical argument for why my wife exists. Um, If you say, how do you know your wife exists? I say, well, she's over there in the other room. I don't know what to tell you. If I brought her over here on the camera, then you would be convinced, I suppose. Um, But uh, yeah, it kind of works like that. And I think that's, uh, the way you described it, I think, is is uh, really good, and I and I agree with it as a theist who does think that the philosophical arguments succeed. Um, I do think that the experience was, is is much more would would be much more convincing, or Absolutely. it makes sense that yeah. it would be.
1: Yeah, and and you know, and we're exper- experiential creatures, right? I mean, let's say you know. Uh, you know, if I say, well, I don't believe you're married, you know, OK, well, you, you can show me your wife. But I'm like, well, show me the marriage certificate. Well, I think that's forged. You can always have doubts. Yeah, right? do and, that. I, yeah. I, and I don't think that it makes sense to have too much doubt. I mean, it's one thing to have a little bit of, of you know, healthy doubt. It's mm-hmm. called ordinary skepticism. That's fine. But when we have these people on the skeptic community who think skepticism and doubt are the same thing they do nobody any good because that's first of all, it's not what skepticism really actually is in philosophy. Skepticism deals with the ability to acquire knowledge. Do we have it? Right. The Peronian skeptic says we don't even know whether we can get knowledge or not. The academic skeptic says, you know, knowledge is not possible. Now I'm not a skeptic. I believe that we, knowledge is possible, but that's open to revision, but only because I think it's an easier way to approach conversations with justified true belief. But even there, there's, there's clear problems with, getting air problems or, or uh, value of what's why is it any more value to have a justified true belief as a, or, or should we have justified belief. um me, a true belief rather than a justified true belief, right? If it's a true belief, why does it matter if we have knowledge? Because it's still true. I mean, there's, there's really nothing even added to that. Right. But, but we, as creatures, we like to say, well, we know something. Okay. Well, okay. Let's say, I know it. Does that mean I'm certain? No. Does it require certainty? No. It just requires the proposition to be true. It requires that you believe it, and it requires some kind of justificatory conditions or reliability if you go for reliabilism. And there's many other different theories of, of knowledge out there too. There's more than just two. Right. But no matter what you pick, okay, I I'm not going to sit there and doubt everything that 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 I see. Now, do I have a cup here? Well, wait a minute here. It's over here now. Do I now? Do I have a cup? Well, in my now hand? I can't see it. So yeah, you can't see it. I mean, <laughs> so. I mean, I, I just, I, I, really don't like the skeptic community when all they do is doubt everything. Well, you know, you have to demonstrate that. No, I don't. Uh, if Unless I'm saying that I could demonstrate something to you. Like when a theist says, I believe God exists, and, and the atheist says, well, can you prove that? I want to, to smack them. I mean, I'm I literally, they look like an idiot, if I can say that. I mean, because the theist is not telling them they can prove God exists. They're not saying I can demonstrate God exists. And you're strawmanning them when you do that to them. And how would you? They like it if they say, "Look, God doesn't exist." And the atheist says, "Well, prove it." Well, I got to prove it. Of course not, right? They don't have to prove that because that's not their claim. You only have to claim. You only have to prove what you claim. You can prove. So if I say I can prove 0.99 repeating equals one, and I can, t- I'm saying, "Hey, then, look, I can prove mathematically that 0.99 repeating equals one in calculus or or algebra." And uh, you say, "Okay, great. I'd like to see that." I could then I could demonstrate it for you, right? right. No. But the theist is not saying, I can prove to you God. You know, they can say, I believe God exists, and let me tell you why I do. Let me tell you the justifications, right? Let me give you my reasoning, and maybe you might agree. And you go, man, those are some really good reasons. I think you're right. I think you convinced me. You persuaded me.
0: Mm-hmm. Right? I think I could talk to you about this stuff all day long. I mean, you're making a lot of points that I like to make, um, and— uh... That I sometimes get pushback from um, in the atheist community. I'm not saying that there aren't Christians or theists who do the same thing, but um, yeah, so I think this is an argument for uh, why everybody should at least have some acquaintance with uh, philosophy.
1: Uh, oh, yeah. Well, philosophy is a tool, it's a tool of reason, right? When people say philosophy is useless, and by the way, I was that guy about seven or eight years ago. I was that guy, philosophy is useless. It's a bunch of crudgy, you know, curmudgeons sitting around. You know, drinking scotch, which I do now, um, you know, smoking cigars, which I don't I quit smoking five years ago um, in a comfy chair. I actually got one. Um, <laughs> but, you know, when you learn about philosophy, you learn about how to reason. You learn about how to use you know basic logic and you're able to disarm uh, arguments. You can look at an argument and go, hmm, yeah, that's not a valid argument. Well, why isn't it valid? Because it doesn't use any rule of inference properly. Um, okay. Or you can say, hey, that's not sound. Why is it not sound? Because the premises aren't true. Why aren't the premises true? Well, because this isn't this. Oh, okay. And people get better in their dialectics by reformulating their arguments. I'll, I'll throw an argument out there occasionally, like on Facebook or Twitter, and I'll get ripped. And I'll go, yeah, you know what? That was pretty bad. Let me try to reformulate it a little better. And I'll try to fix it and try to, to, to shore up those arrows that have been thrown at it, right? Those people that have been trying to steal my arguments. So when you first start it with an argument, you're probably going to have people assail it. It's probably not going to start off that great. But every time somebody does, if you then shore it up, you then do a little bit better. You do you a little bit word a little bit better. It's going to become eventually at the point, sometimes, unassailable, or at least for all practical purposes. And I have multiple arguments out there that so far have never been assailed. Now, there are people who claim they have, but I have a standing thing. If you think you've assailed my WASP argument or my burden of a justification argument or one or two other ones that I have, gumballs and God, which is... Not technically an argument, but on my blog, if you can convince a PhD in philosophy that I'm wrong, I want to talk to that PhD in philosophy because none of them ever have. And, I, and I'm not trying to sound condescending. It is that I've had hundreds of people say I'm wrong, and then when you ask them well, how am I wrong, they show no indication they even understand the argument right. or even basic logic. Yeah. And it's like it's like saying, hey, calculus, this calculus thing is wrong. Okay, well, where's this wrong? Oh, because this, this, and this, and you're like you don't even know what an exponent is. Yeah. You don't know what a derivative is. How how could you tell me the calculus is wrong if you don't know what a derivative is, right? Yeah. that's what I see uh, very often yeah. when people try to sell arguments.
0: That, that's uh, that's how I feel whenever people say Aquinas is
1: outdated. No, I'm just messing with you. But uh... <laughs> well, you know, I mean, look, I mean, Aquinas for his, I got to tell you, for for his day, his arguments were very, very well thought out. Yeah and people still might believe in them today and, and pro- probably there might be some reasons for it. I mean, yeah. they're not like they're bad arguments. It's just, I think there's other explanations back then. Nobody had other explanations, right? Yeah. Nobody knew about quantum stuff, right? Nobody even knew about gravity back then. Yeah. Or at least, you know, not to our understanding. We have it for, for, for general relativity. Yeah. Now I'm mostly
0: teasing. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I think just on that – if I could say one more thing. Well, I guess it's my show, so I guess I can't – no. <laughs> but to say to say one more thing about the philosophy thing is just that I think uh, philosophy really humbled me really quickly. Like it was a, a shell shock. an eye-opener. Yeah, so I remember well, – I'm not walking in because it's online, but uh, I remember my first class in metaphysics. And the first week, I was just like, we might as well – this might as well be Latin or Greek. I just – I have no idea about any of this, um, and so it's just kind of like a, I guess it kind of forced me to restart and just be a lot more humble in my, I don't want to claim this now, because now I kind of understand how argumentation and burden of proof and everything you are just mentioning works, and uh, I want to be more, much more careful and precise with what I say, uh, and it also gave me a deep respect for opposing views.
1: Um Yeah, and it's funny because what what I talk about on my channel, a lot of it, like I said, is normative. I mean, if if you take a philosophical course, any college, these are the things you're going to basically learn, right? So when I have people arguing against me, it's like they're arguing against every college in the world because this is not controversial stuff. I mean, some of the stuff that I I talk about is just basic stuff to, to educate people. Like if I say disbelief is the epistemic disposition towards a proposition that the proposition is false, that's not controversial. Right. I mean that's just not. (laughs) But you go to an atheist group. Oh no, that's not what disbelief is. Disbelief means you just don't believe. No, that's not how how it's understood. If you want to use it differently, okay. But if you go read a paper, that's not how they're going to be using this term 99% of the time. I mean it's just why, why confuse people because. When you go read a paper and it says, and I have papers that I have in my, my disposal that have, will say this, you know, uh, you have uh, dispositional states of belief, disbelief, and suspend judgment. Well, clearly, there are three different epistemic statuses, right? right. Clearly. I mean, one is the belief that is true, one is the belief that is false, and the disbelief is you have no belief either way. This, uh, this is what you find when you go read papers and books on the topic. So, why are the people so against? Learning the topic as what you would learn if you learned it in college or read a paper. I don't understand why atheists have so much pushback on that. I don't. Because if they want to learn these things, how are they going to go read a paper if they're using the usages that Arn Raw uses? The paper would make no sense to them.
0: Yeah. It's kind of, it's almost uh, uh, synonymous or analogous to the anti intellectual crowd on my side of things, the Christians who. Don't think we should make arguments and things like that. I mean, they, they just use words and things that are just not the accepted usage of them and or or something like that. That just popped up in. Well, my creationists
1: mind. will do that, right? You know evolution is just merely change. Um, you know theories merely guess. These are called sensolato, yeah. general definitions. And definitions, by the way, are not prescriptive. Dictionaries are not prescriptive. They are descriptive. They usually what's called synchronic usages, meaning that they're uni- they're telling you how a word is generally used during a specific time period, right. right? How it's used, not how it's supposed to be used. There's a big difference there. So when you open up and you do Google Google foo and go, oh, here's Google Dictionary, it's telling you how the word is currently understood in general parlance, right? By 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 the general masses. And that's fine. I mean, atheism is understood as a lack of belief by some groups. Okay, so if you see a descriptive dictionary that says atheism is disbelief or lack of belief, by the way, those are two different things, um, that's fine. That's a description. It's not prescribing usage. I, and, I, and, I, and, I'll, and I'll tell people this until I'm blue in the face. Dictionaries do not define words. Don't care what you learn in third grade. It's wrong. Dictionaries do not, unless they're prescription. Uh, description dictionaries, which don't really exist. Um, that's not the, That's not what they do. They just describe usages. You know? Right. No, that's right.
0: Okay. So whenever you survey the theistic, non-theistic uh, landscape of interactions online, or it doesn't have to be online, uh, but just interactions, are you mostly hopeful or pessimistic? I mean, this conversation is between a non-theist and a theist, and obviously, it's. I mean. To my mind, it's been great, uh, but uh, you know, it's not always the case. How do you see it, uh, kind of more broadly, generally?
1: I, I, you know, I hate to say it, but it's not a, obviously a true dichotomy. But I definitely see a bifurcation of, of groups, and I see one group that wants to have these conversations, whether they be theist, whether they be atheist, whether they be agnostic, whether they be a theological and cognitivist, whether they be an apatheist. Doesn't matter. They just like to have the conversation, and they they'll be able to talk to anybody. And that's the kind of people that we foster. Those are the people that, that value my channel. Those are people that come and talk to us on, on when we have open discussions. But then you have groups of people out there that don't want to have honest dialogue. They are not honest interlocutors. One thing that I talk about uh, with my co-host Cheshire in a show we do called Caffeine Corner is something called Grease's Maxims. And part of that is called the cooperative principle. And the cooperative principle is basically if you want to have a discussion with somebody, you pretty well pr- should go in with a mindset. Of their person is trying to be honest. Right. You're trying to be honest. You're trying to have a rational discourse. Now, there are times to flout what's called flout these these um, these maxims, right? But for the most part, they're not prescribed. They're not prescriptions, right? They're not prescriptivism. They're generally observations how most people have a conversation using the uh, mm-hmm. like the quality of maxim, a uh, maximum quality, maximum quantity. These are different things to say. Okay, how much should you relate in a conversation without going overboard? Um, you know sh- should you, should you like add in all this other information if you're having a dialectic well probably not cuz it's going to confuse people and so these are kind of guidelines that people use and the people that not having the the, the good discussions the people that just want to argue and get nowhere they seem to just dis- disregard all these different types of things like the principle of rational discourse or a cooperative principle or gr- crisis maxims they don't care they're not there to one change the mind of the other person two they're not actually interested in the discussion itself. I just They're have just to wrong.
0: say – I have to say because I've been beating this dead horse – I can't say for years because I'm quite young, but as far as long as I've been online, uh, I've been beating this dead horse for years that if you come into a dialogue doing the things that you were mentioning, there's no way on earth I could possibly reach the conclusion that you actually want to change my mind, um, which is supposed to be the point of a debate, um, or at least one of the points of
1: a debate. So – I, I, what are debates I, nowadays? Nowadays, it's not about changing the mind of the opponent. It's it's about getting the getting the audience to agree with you. Right. Yeah. Right. That's all it is. And then, by the way, I'm I'm part of a debate thing. I mean, I, I I started the Great Debate Community on YouTube, even though it was you know there's a couple of people that existed prior, but I mean I'm the one that really kind of honed it and 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 took it and and molded it and and promoted for a very long time. But the, you know what? I, I realize that it's not really about the debate. And by the way, debate just means you know an, ar- an argument, a discussion. And arguments are good, right? It's not like a fighting thing. Right. Or an argument is a, is a back and forth. But I think it's more about the discussion, right? And so that term debate, I try to shy, shy away from it because when people hear debate, they think it's so ad- they think it's so adversarial, where you're trying to trying to fight, and, and it's all about the audience. Hey, is the audience? Gonna, am I going to convert the audience in the debate? Because that's normally what you do in a debate in high school right. or college. It's about persuasion, right? Yeah, rhetoric, yep. Rhetoric, yeah, <clears throat> exactly. Temporary rhetoric.
0: My view, and exactly. I know this is not like an accepted um, definitions or anything. It's just in my mind, <clears throat> a, a debate is more of like a, <clears throat> a formal thing. So I had a debate with a uh, uh, godless engineer on, on Jesus' mythicism uh, the other day.
1: Yeah, my heart goes out to the...
0: Well, it went pretty well. I enjoyed it.
1: Um, well, but like, it like, went so, like, so well. That's, that, that, that's one subject... GE does know about, um, I'll give him that. Yeah.
0: So I think it went well because it was a formal debate. And that's kind of how I think of the word debate is that it's formal. I have 15 minutes. You have 15 minutes. There was 10-minute rebuttals, 5-minute closings.
1: How many times did Tacitus or Josephus get mentioned? Well,
0: actually, it was, it was more narrow than just Jesus' mythicism. The question was, did Paul believe in a historical Jesus uh, based on the seven um, – Letters of Paul that are undisputed, but uh, so actually, gotcha. so actually,
1: they didn't get brought up. But uh,
0: but I did. I didn't because I, if I hear
1: Josephus one more time, I'm going to just lose my mind in those discussions.
0: Yeah. So I did watch his debate with uh, IP on your channel. Was didn't that happen on the non sequitur channel? Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah Mike. Um, yeah.
0: yeah. But anyway, so that's kind of more what I think about whenever I think debate and the word discussion for me kind of is like what we're doing right now.
1: Yeah, and I prefer the discussions because. I'm not here to, like, change your mind to anything. I'm not here to impress mm-hmm. the audience. You're asking me questions. I'm here to answer them to the best of my ability and enjoy myself doing it. I think those are the best discussions I have on my channel. I don't want my guests to feel adversarial unless there is, it's clearly going that way because, you know, come on, you're going to have some bad guests. It's going to happen. It's, it's going to go south. At that point, I think, yeah, I might as well make it into the dumpster fire that it's already going and, and, and go from there, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't have that happen, but it sure happens on mine, anybody who watches my channel. I, I, I can tell you got some people in my the, your audience right now that knows my channel they're like yep yep yeah, <laughs> and like, yeah but
0: yeah I do think that sometimes the formal debate structure it was necessary so well, I'm trying to think of how I want to say this I, I wasn't going to get into an informal discussion with GE on Jesus mythicism. I, I said I would agree to it if it was a formal debate I didn't feel like and it's just me passing judgment. It's not anything against this character or anything. I didn't feel like it would be a good conversation for us to do that. At one point, he tried to make it into that in the middle of the debate, and I said, "No, we're going to stick to the time constraints we had." Uh, mm-hmm. That was just, but that was my judgment. So I do think there's sometimes that a formal debate like that. Yeah,
1: oh, oh, look, I've done. Look, the first debate that I ever had online. Uh, it was on Mac Revolution, and it was with somebody named Wayne Fillmore, who was a younger creationist. And, you know, we were kind of friends, but we actually got a little bit of a, of a, of a beef. Um, and he was just like, well, you know, you won't debate me on that. You won't debate me. I'm like, "Yeah, hey, why not? Uh, and I debated him. Um, I studied for like two weeks for this debate. I'm not even fronting. Uh, I, I, I couldn't say the word peri- Perilopithecus Catalonicus for the first time. I had to, like, sit there and practice saying Perilopithecus Catalonicus. <laughs> I'll never forget it now. Uh, because, and there was a 12 million year old fossil that was found in Spain. But I, I did a whole presentation for him, right? Because I wasn't about the audience. I really wanted him to understand that evolution's a real thing, that, and that young Earth creationism is bunk. I know a lot of these young Earth creationists. These I know the people that write for the journals. I'm in correspondence with a lot of them. I'm mentioned in the Journal of Creation. I'm just recently mentioned in a paper by Dr. Lachelle um, Acknowledgement. And I'm going to be mentioning on Talk Origins, uh, hopefully next month, by, by Dr. Anke. And so I facilitate these conversations. And so I, I really have a vested interest in pers- dissuading people from being other creationists. This is a pet peeve of mine. It's like flat earth, right? You know it's wrong. You don't want people to have false beliefs like that because it leads to other people having false beliefs, which makes education 10,000 times more difficult. And you know what happened to him, Hayden? Do you, mm. do you know what he did at, after our debate? What he did he do? He actually went to go look at what I said was true or not. Yeah. He le- he left Young Earth Creations about a month later. Yeah. Wow. That's impressive. And and he now and he wrote uh, an article about me on BioLogos. He's not a writer for BioLogos. Be familiar with them.
0: Yeah, I am. They're kind of the theistic
1: evolutionists. Correct. Yeah. So I mean, it, it can happen. It's so, but it's very rare.
0: Mm-hmm. It's very rare. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is rare, and I understand why. I mean, I got to say that the probability of me leaving Christianity or theism has got to be pretty small. Uh, I'm so just, what
1: convinced you? Now my turn. I get to turn it around. Yeah. What convinced you?
0: Uh, I grew up a Christian. Um, and now I do think that the theistic arguments for the existence of God, like the philosophical ones, the I, do, I like the prime mover. I do like uh, the Aristotelian argument from a
1: change. Um, the, the four causes? The four causes? Do you, think there's, do you think there's different causal relationships? Because our Aristotelian had four causations. Right? Oh, yes, it,
0: like of, a formal cause and formal a material cause, efficient cause and a cause. Yeah. cause. Yeah. Um, Which makes sense. No, it makes sense. I mean, I, sense. You know, I, mean I, I have to say that I don't have the philosophical depth to defend it or anything. But uh, yeah, it, when I read it, it does make sense. There's something that brings it into existence. There's things that hold it into existence right now. There is a material component to us and things like that. Um, so, I mean, I don't have anything against them. I don't know that I would have the breadth to defend them, but yeah. Um, did you you ever
1: have experiential experience?
0: I do think that I, um, I had an experiential, uh, experiential experience, a a religious experience, um, in Lubbock, Texas when I was uh, 20 years old. So I I can back up real quick. I did grow up a Christian. Um, it was more like a nominally Christian type of thing. We did go to church every once in a while, but, uh, beyond that, i mean my dad i feel like is a good godly man i would describe him that way um but we didn't talk about it a lot or anything like that and so i just i just thought we had good morals didn't wasn't necessarily a religious thing but anyway so at 1718 18 I, I don't think i would have called myself an atheist but more like an apatheist i just didn't think about it at all didn't care and then something happened for sure um whenever I was about 20 years old in Lubbock, Texas, I was actually on my way to a fraternity party, uh, just driving my car like I did every weekend. And uh, uh, for whatever reason, uh, something happened internally and uh, I was not on drugs or anything, or even been drinking or anything like that. Uh, Nothing traumatic had happened in my life at that point. In fact, everything was going for me. I was going to school to be an engineer. I was pretty excited about it. And for whatever reason, I just had to pull over. I'm not an emotional person. That's also another thing that's hard for me to explain. I'm not saying there isn't ulterior explanations. But what what happened was just that I had some kind of a breakdown and pulled over on the side of the road and felt convicted that I was living my life wrong and that I was uh, doing sinful things, even though sin had never really been in a category for me. And I just turned around, both literally and metaphorically, and went home and... uh, Prayed to God and felt like it was real, and so that was that's why I do say that the experience, interpreting experiences like that, oh, sure. is definitely the most convincing thing for theists. I'm not. Uh, I do like the apologetic endeavor. I do like philosophy and stuff like that, but I don't pretend. That those type of things
1: are more use use them more to supplement your your experiences and try to relate them Mm -hmm. together. Yeah, and I don't have any problem saying that.
0: that. And I know that some people would try to say, "Yeah, it's called a confirmation
1: bias and things like that." But no, I don't really think it is. Um, Not if you're doing it. Not if you're doing it honestly, mm -hmm. right? I mean, you still have to look things objectively. Yeah. So and as you, but I heard you say there might be other explanations. So you realize Mm -hmm. that you know there might be. You're you're not saying, "Hey, look, this is the only explanation," Mm -hmm. and therefore I have concluded. This because it's the only explanation. That's a whole different argument. Yeah,
0: so at the time, I probably would have thought that. But now about three years later, I'm in seminary, and uh, I've never thought about questions like, how do you know God exists? How do you know the Bible's God's word? How do you know that Jesus rose from the dead? Those sort of, no, no one's ever asked me that before. I've never thought it to myself before. Uh, I just had that experience that totally turned my life around, and I would have said the evidence is the fact that I changed so much. I don't know how else that would have happened. Um, But then I started having doubts about that, I think because at seminary, this is at least how I interpret everything that happened in seminary, you really dive deep, so to speak, into things. And I just got to some depth of systematic theology or whatever that I had to say, how do I even know that any of this is true? Because I'm getting really out here into the, you know, digging deep and kind of, I know I used the word deep, but kind of out here on the fringes of things. And it's like, how do I even know that any of this is true? So I kind of had that.
1: Um, so, what would convince you it's not true?
0: Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm I would take something. Uh, you know.
1: That's that's kind of a hard question. No,
0: no, write. no. I'm t- no, I know the answer. I'm trying to think of how I want to word it. Which would be, I would take. Um, you know, if you had a good enough argument, I don't think it has to be, um, because I don't think it has to be uh, certainty to be a theist, I have to. To be, Correct. to be fair, I have to say it in the opposite direction. If you had a good enough argument against the existence of God, or even, I think in order to be fair, I would also have to say, even if you had a good enough objection to the current arguments to the existence of God, like the Kalam, or the contingency, uh, the Aristotelian, and things like that, if you had good enough objections to those, then in order to be consistent, I would have to accept that they do not ex- succeed, In which case, I would be dependent on that experience that I had. And uh, I don't know what I would do then, because I do...
1: Okay, can can I I ask one more question? Yeah. All so so what would you do um, if you actually found out that God does exist, but... It wasn't Christianity, right. it was Islam all this time. Would you worship that god? Oh, cuz I mean, yeah. the same question they ask the atheists all the time. Well, I, I love this too, but by the way, when they say if you if the Christian god is real, would you worship him? And the atheist goes, "No." And I'm like, "You're lying through your teeth." You would th- th- what 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 idiot would sit there and go, "Hey, look, he's an omnipotent being that's going to send me to hell." No, you're going to be kissing its ass. can I say you can, can, I, can say I, ass if you'd you're like. going <laughs> to you're going to be kissing its ass. I'm telling you cuz there's nothing there's no moral cause to be had because nobody's going to care that you're like oh well you're an evil being and i don't like you cuz you're yahweh you drown people or whatever yeah. by the way i don't think you believe in the great flood but i mean you're not going to sit there and do that you're going to be like oh no i'm not i'm not going to want to burn for eternity cuz at that point there's no moral cause mm-hmm. to be had cuz nobody's going to care it's just it's just seems self I, I don't believe anybody's going to do that. No. I just don't think everybody's going to be like, You're, you know, you exist now. I'm not going to like yeah. worship you. Yeah, you probably would. I, I sure the hell would. But what about if you found out it wasn't the Christian God, but it was the Muslim God? Yeah, so,
0: so at first worship? I thought the question was going to be, you know, what would you do if Christianity was false? I, I would probably just be a classical theist. Um, but yeah, I mean,
1: if Islam was true, then I would want to follow Islam. Yeah, no, I'm, and I, I think that's the same answer, actually. I mean, it, 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 whatever is the case, then you have to accept it. And again, good, bad, or indifferent, I don't think anybody really has the right answers. Uh, there's just too many denominations. There's just too many variations, too many versions. I think most people generally go what they're comfortable with. They they hope that they got the majority of it right. And if there is some kind of omnipotent being up there, uh, and he's been a, he's a benevolent being, I don't think he's going to punish people for just not getting it right. It just doesn't make sense to me. That would not be, that, that'd be a benevolent being. I mean, right. so I would tend to more what's called universalism, if you're, if you're familiar with that term. Yeah. That basically God would be, you know, everybody's kind of saved. Because I don't think the whole hell thing makes any sense. I no, think that was all. Yeah, so like,
0: I'm not, I, I don't believe in eternal conscious torment Uh, for, from a, because of, because of the Bible, actually, I just don't th- think that the Bible actually supports that. I think that's. I agree. Yeah. Um, Sheol and
1: all that doesn't support. No, you know, the I narrative. do think. I love it.
0: I interpret the biblical narrative to be annihilationist. That God is, yeah. but I, I think every Christian, and I talk about one of my friends in the live chats, a universalist. I think, and we say this all the time. I think every Christian is a hopeful universalist. I hope I, I'm. You know, I hope I'm wrong. I disagree
1: with you. You know why? Because I know people that are rebel people go to hell.
0: I, you're right. And so I always come back to him and I say, I really think some people are hopeful, eternal conscious tormentists. And, right, And he laughs at that. And we, we both do. But I really do yes. believe it. I think you're right. And that blows my mind. Because you're supposed to, I mean, the Christian religion, most, well, I, I can't speak for the other two monotheistic religions. I don't actually know. But the Christian religion, I think most people would say is an evangelistic religion. And so it's like, you ought to desire them. To be saved, and so therefore, that if you desire them to be saved, I'm using the Christian lingo here, then you just by definition would be a hopeful universalist. You want everyone to be saved, right?
1: You, you would think, but there's some just sadistic people out there. Yeah, there are. Being Christian doesn't change that. No, um, it doesn't. I've yeah. actually had to say, huh, "I'll be happy to look down while you're burning in hell." It's yeah. like, okay, yeah, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Um, and my and my other question, I've you know, I asked like, I, I this is one of the questions I've asked for on. on uh, Agree to argue, yeah. or at least uh, the members, then I had asked them if God is going to judge uh, who goes to heaven and who goes to hell, that's a binary option, right? Assuming there's no purgatory, assuming there's no middle ground, there, ha- there has to be some kind of line of demarcation because, I mean, what what how could god makes that final judgment matter of fact if you remember of like the old gods with anubis uh i think it was anubis that he would take a feather and take a scale and take the heart and weigh it and so he had some kind of objectivity to right. say okay you're going up you're going down if you read the books called the incarnations and immortality series by appears anthony uh it was very similar the the soul was weighted uh either to go down or soul was weighted to go up um, it had a buoyancy to it right but i mean what kind of God would go? Hey, look, you know, you were you were you were so close, man, you know, hey, you know you, you you had most of it, right? But you didn't you didn't get everything right? You had this one thing that was just wrong So close you're gone, right? It's there's such a litmus test to be had there and so Lack of granularity because it's not fuzzy logic, right? It's not like uh eh, maybe maybe not it is you're in or you're out right. You're you're in or you're not in if you're not in you're out so I find that to be a very poignant question when dealing with a certain version of the Christian God.
0: Right. Yeah. It, it certainly applies to eternal conscious torment, and there's perhaps a version of it that applies even to my position on annihilation. When I say my position, I just mean that seems to me to be the biblical position. Uh, annihilation. Oh, I agree. The, the annihilation, I think annihilation of... makes
1: more sense for the Bible as well, actually.
0: Um, yes. So it's like, but when I hear stuff like that, that's just for me is an argument. Uh, because I do accept that God exists, and um, it would be an argument for universalism, like you're saying, and so it really doesn't bother me that much. I'm like, eh. I hope I'm wrong, so I hope your argument does succeed. Uh, but yeah, um, yeah, it's it is interesting to contemplate. the, You know, what would I do if this, and what would I do? Yeah, no,
1: oh, see, I, but you're willing. Really, see, that's why um, apologists like you that are willing to answer questions and entertain hypo, you know, hypotheticals, you're going to go far. People won't want to have that. to. Well, I'm serious. I, I because. People do not like people that obfuscate. People do not like people, people that stonewall. Don't be afraid to answer the hard questions because yeah. so what? You get it wrong. You change your position. You you, 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 you say something. You go, look, I, I say this once, but, you know, I've modified this. I've learned since then. Um, and you just express yourself because you you, you we both seen theists that will obfuscate to no end. Look at I, I, ten Bernicke, who I actually like. He's a friend of mine. But, dude, the, the guy would not answer questions. I mean, yeah. he's the kind of guy that goes, well, I don't do Bible studies with atheists. Then how does anybody challenge your positions? Yeah, because no. he doesn't want that. No,
0: yeah, and like I said, I think it comes back. I mean, I applaud you for for. Well, I appreciate it. I applaud you as well. Um, I think for just personally me, it comes back to um, I, I say my training. I'm not claiming to be a professional or anything. My training in philosophy has changed me a lot, and actually, a lot of Christians are going to use that as a weapon against me. But <laughs> uh, yeah, the philosophy. Wait, till they
1: find you, talk to me. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, I have, I have a lot of Christians that actually do like me. I, I don't
0: know. <laughs> I like you a lot. This has love. been a very fun conversation. Uh, what, I mean, one last question before we uh, I go scrolling through here to see what questions we have is: What advice do you have um, to foster uh, better conversations between
1: theists and non-theists? Uh, go to my channel. Watch Caffeine Corner. There you go. Yeah. Sir, sir, uh, we go through every week on Mondays, and we talk about how to have better conversations. Uh, but I think the big thing is one. Tr- Try to go in with an honest intent and don't think that you're is all of a sudden being dishonest just because you're a theist. I know a lot of people bring baggage to a conversation. Aaron is famous for it. He, he he literally thinks every time he's talking to a theist that they're lying to him, right? He doesn't take any of that to be honest. And it's a shame because I've seen him – like, for example, he was talking to a Dr. Uh, – Oh, what was his name? Uh, I can't remember, but he, he, he the guy is a young creationist, but his philosophy was his philosophy was good, his biology clearly not so much but you know philosophically speaking he was on point. I, I have a f- philosophical friend of mine who analyzed the conversation between them and said, yeah, I, I don't see any problems with what this doctor was telling him. This is how it would be. But Arn wasn't having any of it because he's still thinking that this, this theist, who's a young creationist who clearly is wrong there, must therefore be wrong on the, his philosophy. And that doesn't necessarily follow. Right. Yeah. I think so go, don't, yeah. don't think everybody's having a, a, a bad intent, a dishonest yeah. intent. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's hard to get over that because there are some people that do have bad intents. And I'm sure that there's, um, I'm not projecting anything onto anybody, but I'm just, I know that it is the case. Uh, there are Christians, or, or excuse me, there are atheists who have had bad experiences with religious people. And uh, I can under I I say this from a sympathetic point of view. I understand why then you might have animosity in all your conversations with religious people, and perhaps vice versa. But yeah, I'm not saying that's where it always comes from. But yeah, uh, here's a question. Um, it's a quote. Um, it looks like they're quoting Matt Dillahunty. It says, uh, "There is no not P. There is only P. No atheism is not defined in terms of theism." Atheism is not the belief that there are no gods. Matt Dillahunty. Uh, what are the problems here is the, is the question from the audience.
1: Um, well, for every P, there's a not P. There's a not condition. It's a negation. Uh, what Matt does, not seems to want to understand, because I think he does know this. I, I, I'm at the point now I think Matt's dishonest, I, and I hate to say it because I, I really can't stand the fact that that I have to just call out him to be dishonest because I know people that do know him that have explained this stuff to him. And in private, he seems to get it, but in public, won't give any leeway. And so when he's saying that's not what atheism is, he is becoming a prescriptivist. And he has lied about me. He's absolutely lied about me. He claims that I'm a prescriptivist. I wrote a blog article in 2018 with my positions, very clearly stating that I was a descriptivist, not a prescriptivist. And so When he's saying that you must use words a certain way, or that's how it is, he's only using that within the domain of his uh, atheist experience, right? In the domain of the atheist community of Austin, or in some group of atheism. He has yet to show that in philosophy, the more normative and more more understood uses of atheism is the belief that God does not exist. That's supported by Stanford Encyclopedia, Dr. Draper. It's supported by Internet Encyclopedia of Philosophy, Dr. McCormick, both peer review. Supported by Cambridge. Supported by Oxford. Supported by Rutledge. Supported by Blackwell. Supported by Rowe. Supported by, supported by Burgess Jackson. Supported by Oppie. Supported by JJD um, Smart. I mean, I could name, go on, P.K. Moser. I mean, there's so many different names that support this. I, I, I People have asked, okay, well, what philosopher doesn't support this? There are none. There are only four people that even wrote against it that I can find. And I'm, by the way, I've read these papers, okay? I'm not just, you know, blowing smoke here. I've actually read these papers. I've had them cite- cited on my blog. But the only four people that actually advocated for a negative type position that Matt holds to are Anthony Flew in 1972 with the presumption of atheism, which, by the way, he acknowledged in that paper that atheism was the belief that god does not exist but he wanted it changed that was the whole point of his paper to michael martin who uh even but he 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 actually believed that um negative atheism still required a justification but he thought it was a, a better for utility and same with stephen boulevard who's a theist he argues from utility right and the other one would be um george smith in a case against god but um for the most part, all they're saying is we rather have it be the negative. And the reason for that is for demographics. It's for political reasons, not philosophical reasons. right? right? They want more voting power. Mm-hmm. That's it. Same. From a philosophical standpoint, there is no philosopher that I've ever met that says, you you know, atheism is, is the non-belief of God, and that's it. There's no other definition. Nobody's ever said that besides Matt Dillon DNR, and Raw, and they're not actual philosophers. Yeah.
0: So, so what he says— if that quote's accurate I'm trying to I was trying to just understand the point that he was trying to make and that quote was not p does not exist
1: but I don't know I've heard that before is that is that a is mirror it, that said that I don't know it's
0: it sounds like uh trying to say that negative existential existential question uh, statements are vacuous but it's not a negative existential Claim,
1: it's, right. It's it is, well, it, it, well, it is. No, it kind of is. I mean, you're you're a negative existential claim is that the claim is God doesn't exist. Right. That is a negative existential claim. Right. No, I'm saying. But yeah. Yeah.
0: I, yeah. I don't know. Never mind. It's kind of getting me confused. But uh, anyway, here's another question for you, Steve. It says, uh, why did Steve say that God choosing a particular world to exist um, is arbitrary? And so I think this is back to whenever you're talking about the contingency argument. It seems like an assertion. I'd kind of like to have him unpack that claim a bit.
1: Thanks. Well, actually, what I said was if God created this world and he didn't have a reason, it would be arbitrary, Mm. right? Because, again, depositing God as a metaphysical necessity for the argument from contingency is that it satisfies PSR, right? Right. So there's only a couple different things. Either God created this world with reasons that he had— that he had to create this particular world, right? There's no other options, which would be he's beholden some kind of value that he says he must do it this way, or he could have been his. You know, I'll pick this particular world completely, free, right? It's, it's possible, right? God could have said, "Yeah, let's do it this way." But no matter what you pick, whether it was uh, by necessity, by arbitrary, or he had his reasons, we don't have access to God. We can't ask him what were your reasons. It doesn't satisfy anything. It doesn't explain anything. The whole point of the Argument from contingency is to explain something by the principle of sufficient reason, which I don't even behold, by the way. I don't think the, Pacific, I don't think the PSR actually is, is true. But let's assume that it is. That's fine. But if I just say, hey, you know, uh, Hayden, God created this world. You say, okay, well, why did he create this particular world? I have no idea. I can't ask him. Yeah. It's non-explanatory. Right. That's uh,
0: why. What if you're a theist who believes that God does not— what if you're a theist that believes that God does not exist, more specifically that He's not of the category of things that exist?
1: Uh, do you understand that? that? Good. That's do you a
0: that question because I, I didn't
1: really understand. No, because a theist, a, a theist is okay. Generally speaking, again, these words have usages, right? So if you want to go read something in philosophy, the term theist has two general usages. One in non-classical theist, which would be anybody that's a God belief right? Or classical theism which would be the personalized God right so a deist a deist would not be somebody who believes in the classical version of God so they would actually be um, more along the lines of an atheist or non-believer they they would deny the Christian God so in the classical theist approach theism refers to a very specific uh, personalized deity I don't work within the classical theism realm My blogs are non-classical theism. It doesn't matter which one you pick, as long as you know what you're talking about, right? As long as you say, look, my schema is non-classical theism. I have a friend, Dr. Kenny Rhodes. He argues in classical theism, right? To him, a theist is somebody who believes in the Christian God. Nothing wrong with that. But he knows when I use the term theist, I'm not using it that way. And I know when he uses the term theist, he's not using it that way. You know what? We still have amazing discussions. Yeah. Right. so we still know how we we use these you know these words. Uh but that there's a distinct if you say you're the theist and you don't believe in the Christian god, I don't know what that would mean. Right. Unless you, I mean obviously you don't believe in any god. I don't know what that would mean. You could believe obviously in you know some other god.
0: Yeah. I'm looking at the time and I almost forgot about our our time constraints. so I apologize. But uh, Steve okay. I got about 5 more minutes. Yeah, Steve, you-
1: uh, thanks so much
0: uh, for agreeing to do this. I really appreciate it. Uh sorry Jamie. yeah, yeah, we'll have to do it again for sure. Um it's a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, so uh, again to the audience, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, If you want to support uh, the mission here to Help Me Believe so we can do more conversations like this, uh, just follow the Patreon link in the description below and you can become a patron supporter for as little as a dollar a month. Steve, thanks so much for joining me, sir. I really appreciate it.
1: Thank you for having me, and uh, I hope your channel does really well. And yeah, I like to come back uh, anytime and any theists that you know that want to have these discussions, because we just we just barely touched the surface. Yeah. I, I I would love to talk to more theists because if Matt Delahunty and Aaron Raw don't want to have these discussions and they recuse themselves because they're just going to say that I'm wrong by fiat, I'm going to turn the arguments over to the theists and let them run them because <laughs> you know because I mean, logic's logic, and I'm sorry, Aaron. I'm sorry, Matt. Uh, you can't just bulldoze your way uh, uh, through an argument and just say people are wrong merely because you think they're wrong. You need to demonstrate it. What does Arn say? If you, don't, if you can't show it, you don't know it.
0: <laughs> oh, thanks so much, Steve.
1: Thank you, buddy.